And uh, she was probably the most important one because it was his wife. I got all the kids, I think, Seth, Elizabeth, Micah, and Jude. And I know Jason and his wife, Kathy. So I got a card. So I could get her, I could get her name, but I couldn't, I couldn't remember it. Jason's here, he's uh, there with ABWE and serving in um, Togo and other lands out there by, in the Togo area. He's gonna come and preach. Hey, we thought you needed a change from the three deacons, so. Oh, and the children ages four to seven may be dismissed to junior church. Uh, it is a joy to be with you. Uh, I will uh, show you a picture that's on the card uh, in, a, uh, in a moment here. We'll get it up on the screen. Uh, you will see this. the picture was taken about a year ago, uh, and um, we do have a couple of cards. We're winding down on our furlough time. Uh, we've got uh, the kids are keeping track five weeks from tomorrow, uh, right? We'll be on the airplane to head back to, uh, to West Africa. And, um, and so, so this is the end. We, we, like I said, my wife has a couple of cards. If you're interested in grabbing one uh, before you leave today, you, you can see her uh, as, we, um, uh, as we are coming limited on supplies. The picture's over a year old. So, uh, you know, the kids will look at this picture and they say, it's outdated, Dad. We need to get a new one. And I'll say in a few years, we'll get a new one. Uh, but uh, but that's, that's the picture. If we go to the next slide, uh, I'll show you a little bit where we're at. We're in West Africa, uh, and I serve as the regional director for West Africa for ABWE. And we currently are in the Gambia, uh, which is in the far left uh, part of the country. The, the, the name of the country actually covers pretty much all of the country. Uh, and it's, it's a small little country. Uh, um, uh, country that's uh, predominantly, it's still an open country, but it's predominantly Muslim. Uh, and then we have uh, missionaries in Liberia, uh, as well as Ghana, and, and then we are in Togo, where we live, and then in Benin uh, as well. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot happening in this part of the world. Uh, you don't hear a lot about Africa or West Africa in particular, uh, but if you take this swath of Africa and you extend it all the way over to East Africa, that part of Africa between now and 2050 will have the largest population growth in the world. Uh, and even if I read this, the article I read recently, uh, 14 of the 19 countries in which most of this growth will take place uh, are in this swath of, uh, of Africa. Uh, it's very fascinating. The, the article cited, the study cited that even if, uh, even if the, the women were limited to two births per woman, it still would have the largest demographic growth in the world. Uh, so it's a fascinating part of the world. There's a lot that's taking place uh, right now. We're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of turmoil. Uh, we're seeing a lot of growth. We're seeing a lot of change take place uh, across this part. Just in the last two years, a little more than two years, maybe two and a half years now, uh, we've had six different coups in, uh, in some of the countries in West Africa. Uh, two of the coups have taken 
place just north of uh, us in Togo in the country of Burkina Faso. And uh, I was in Togo just uh, uh, about a month ago and in the northern part of Togo there was a lot of work, uh, a meeting that was taking place with a lot of the military leaders uh, of West Africa and uh, some of from Europe and the U.S. as well uh, to address some of the terrorism problem that we're having uh, in this part of uh, this part of the world. So it's a very fascinating part. I, I would encourage you to pay attention to West Africa. Uh, it's uh, it's one of the fastest growing, not just demographic wise, but it's the fastest recruitment area. One of the one of the fastest recruitment areas for um, for terrorism. And part of it is because the it is such an impoverished part of the world that people need food, they need clothing, and they need shelter. And so they join these groups, especially uh, there's been a spike in growth since uh, in the uh, inflation issues started uh, a couple of a year or so ago, year and a half ago. And so we're seeing a lot of growth in that in those areas uh, as well. So we are in Togo. Uh, Togo is a small country, about 8 million people. Uh, it's, I take it, I, the way I describe it is if you can imagine the state of West Virginia, and put it in a vice so it looks like Vermont, and that's Togo. Uh, it's the landmass size of West Virginia in, in close to the shape of, of Vermont in a, in a sense there. Uh, but it is a um, uh, really an open and, uh, and really beautiful country uh, to live in. I'm not gonna, well, I'll show you a couple of pictures uh, as we go through the message this morning. Um, but uh, next year, 2024, ABWE will be celebrating 50 years of ministry in Togo. Uh, and there are a number of ministries that are taking place. We've got uh, two hospitals, a radio station, a ministry to blind students, uh, or a school for blind students. There's um, uh, theological education and church planting. Um, and we're starting a deaf ministry uh, probably next year. And there's a, a whole slew of other things that, uh, that I could list for you. Uh, but it really is a ministry-rich uh, country uh, that is very diverse. In, in that little country there uh, it has probably three different uh, regions. I think they consider five regions in it, but, but generally I describe it as, a, as we've got a south, we've got a central, and we've got a north. And each of those regions is vastly different and distinct in its culture, in its makeup, and, and in many different ways. So it's really a fascinating country to serve, and we look forward to, uh, uh, to going back. But one of the things, you can move to the next slide there, the, the one of the things as we turn to Luke chapter 7 uh, this morning, uh, you'll have to forgive me, I'm at that age now where I'm, I'm in between. And so I, my kids don't like it, I don't like it, and uh, we're gonna have to bounce back and forth. So if I wanna see you, I'm looking at you through these ones. So, uh, but when we read, we'll look through Luke chapter seven, which we read. But one of the, the, the theme of the message, oh, one other thing before we start this morning is uh, if you have a tendency to, um, uh, you like to write or you need to take notes, I've given my kids a piece of paper with the word standing or stand standing and strange. You can count the number of times I say it this morning if you need something to keep you engaged. Uh, that's one of the things that I did when I was a kid. My dad would give us a little note card. He'd check with the pastor ahead of time. What's the word going to be today? He'd give him the word, and then we'd have to tell him afterward how many times he said it during the message. Uh, so that's one of the things we continue uh, periodically with our kids. So those are the words for today if you are in, so inclined to, uh, to keep track. The theme or the title of today's message is Standing Out 
in a strange land. So you, should, you have it at least a couple of times already. Standing out in a strange land. Luke chapter 7. In Togo, it's not hard to stand out in a strange land. We got a couple of pictures here for you. This first picture is a, uh, is a picture of, as I mentioned, almost 50 years of ministry in Togo. Uh, this in the capital city uh, a couple of years ago. It was probably, well, maybe 14 months ago. Uh, we had a, uh, we invited all of the pastors uh, in the capital city to come. This is not all of them. This is just those who could make it. The pastors of the churches that have been planted by ABWE and the pastors of churches that have been planted by those churches. I think up to this point, we really can't tell how many churches exist uh, in Togo that, that, we, uh, that we are connected with or affiliated with, but there's probably somewhere between 130 and 150 churches uh, across, uh, across Togo. But you can see in there um, that it's not difficult to spot those, who, those of us who stand out. There's, uh, there's three of us there kind of trying to hide a little bit in the back, uh, but, but we stand out. The next picture you can see as well, uh, we, we really do uh, stand out. This is Jude. Jude with his uh, blonde hair. It's, his hair's starting to change a little bit, so it will be uh, interesting to see when he goes back. But the attraction, everywhere we go, we stand out. Uh, Kathy was still, we were talking about you know we're getting ready to go back so uh, we're we're saying our um, uh, we're starting to count our losses if you will to use a, uh, we're starting to say okay what is it we have to say goodbye to uh, we have to say we're you know this is the last stretch of of singing corporately in English and listening to the reading and the proclamation of the word in English before we go back to uh, French and the 43 other tribal languages that exist in Togo. Uh, and so, so we look at this, we say we stand out everywhere we go. Kathy goes to the market. There's no slide into the market and get what you want and slide out. Everybody knows you're there. Everybody sees the difference. As a matter of fact, you know, Togo's a warm, a warm climate culture uh, country, and, and so, you know, you'd think you'd want to wear short sleeves and, and you know, kind of stay as cool as possible. But I have taken to, when I go to church in particular, wearing long sleeve shirts. Because in short sleeve, when I wear short sleeve shirts, sometimes I'll just be sitting in church, and all of a sudden I'll feel this arm or this hand just reaching and rubbing my arm hair. Because, you know, we stand out. They, there's not a lot of arm hair uh, among the Togolese. And so, and so it's just one of those little things that, that you have to adapt to and you have to get used to. Uh, so standing out in a, in a strange land is, is something that I don't think you ever get used to. Uh, but it, it is the reality with which we have to live. And so I'd like to consider some lessons from Luke chapter 7 about the centurion uh, and his sick servant. And as we consider the passage this morning, uh, I, I want to look at five ways that the centurion stood out in a strange land. Five ways. <clears throat> Verse 1, now he concluded all his sayings, this is Jesus, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. So the first way that we see the centurion stand out in a strange land is that he stood out through an uncharacteristic or with an uncharacteristic compassion. 
Who is a centurion? What was the, posi the position that a centurion held? He was a person of authority. He was a person who had people at his disposal. We'll read about that a little bit later as, as a person in a, in a position of authority. He was not one who was, who was uh, required or needed to or would often necessarily low, uh, lower himself into the affairs of the, of the, 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 the miners, if you will. He wasn't one, that was a position that didn't need to, to get down into the details, but to push that, that uh, to delegate that to other people. But here, he had an uncharacteristic compassion for this servant. Now, I understand that there, there's two words used in this passage for servant uh, in the Greek. And one is for servant, and one is also translated son. So there might be some uh, uncertainty or some debate about whether this was his son or was it a servant who had become like a son to him. We're not going to go down that, that road. But either way, a centurion to be in, involved in the affairs of somebody as a, at the level of a servant uh, was something that was uncharacteristic and I think made him stand out in the culture in which, uh, which he lived. Uh, now, I think I, I do want to contrast this a little bit to, um, to the, the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders. Uh, we, we, we've read the passage, so I'm, I'm going to assume that you remember the passage that we read. They went to Jesus. Now, the passage tells us that, um, uh, that he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. Now, do you remember what it was that they said, we'll cover this again later, but what was it that they said was the reason why Jesus should help them, help him? Because he is worthy, he loves our nation, and he built us a synagogue. All right, so what is their motivation? The centurion's motivation, I think, is compassion. He has compassion for somebody that he loves. Now let's contrast this to the um, uh, to the to the um, uh, to the religious leaders. What was their motivation? Well, the passage doesn't say what their motivation is, but I think if we consider the scope of the New Testament and how Jesus presents and how the gospel writers present the religious leaders, I, I think we can say their motivation was probably more maybe selfish in its motivation. Now, they, 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 want to, they want to keep the peace just as much as the centurion was responsible for keeping the peace, but they want, they want him who did good for them, they want to stay on his good side. They want their benefactor to stay happy with the people. And so I, I kind of wonder if their motivation here is, is a little bit in contrast to that of the centurion. The centurion who you would not expect to have the level of and degree of compassion that he had for the servant to have, that the, 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 the religious leaders, their motivation and their uh, compassion was probably more, more directed to themselves. Um, if we go, we can go to the next picture here. Um, I mentioned that we have a school for blind children. Um, you know, the, the blind in, in Togo, in West Africa, are considered lowly. They are considered outcasts. They are, they are nobodies. Matter of fact, many of the, the students that we have, uh, when they, during the school session, they come and board at the school, and then they go back to their families in the villages for their um, breaks, for their... Um, 
for holidays and those types of things. But oftentimes when they're with their families, they're worthless. And so they get, this, they get whatever's left over of the food, so they often come uh, malnourished. Uh, they, they, get the, they, they have all kinds of, they, they are expected to do different tasks that they may or may not be able to do because of the, the impairment of their vision. Uh, and, and a few of them even come from uh, fetish families, which is, which is, um, which is the, witch, the witchcraft uh, of, the, of the area. And so they're, they're in that environment. And so some of them, they come, they come into the environment and, and you, you see the torment that they experience uh, as a result of, of their family's <clears throat> activities. And so demonstrating... And a, a compassion for them is not something that is natural. That is not something that the people in, in the country naturally are disposed to do. So to stand out in the culture of that, uh, of that area would be to show compassion uh, to, to these children. Uh, if go to the next slide, one of the things that, um, that I enjoy doing uh, when I would fly in Togo uh, is to, um, to look out at the vast... Uh, countryside, and um, and it's just amazing to me where people live. Just in the middle of nowhere, you see this hut with this grass roof, or you see this house with this metal roof, and they're in the middle of nowhere. And and it's really, I think, you know, it's a challenge for me to think uh, and to be reminded of of how in the, how is God going to enable us to get the gospel to these people. But the other thing I look for when I fly are for herds, cattle, groupings of cattle. And you never find them in the same spot. They're, always, they're, they're, they're spread out in various ways. And, and when you see the herd of cattle, that's when you see the Fulani. And there's about 38 million Fulani uh, spread across West Africa. Now, the Fulani are considered the lowest of the low, the outcast of society. And, and they are... They are, they are looked down upon. Uh, oftentimes there will be, uh, th when they come into the area, they'll be persecuted. Uh, they'll, be, they'll be kind of driven out and, and they'll be treated very poorly. And, and thinking about this right now, we're in the process of, of, of talking and praying and, and, and really doing our research to try to figure out how to reach these 38 million Fulani people across West Africa. And in the northern part of Togo at our, at our northern hospital, um, there is a, a, a center um, where, uh, where Fulani can come and they can rest and they can, uh, they can take a break and they can get some resources and some help as they need, uh, but also uh, they can hear the truth if so, if so desired and to begin to, to work through, uh, through those ministries. And so it, it's a way to, to, um, to stand out, but when you stand out, now I recognize, I say standing out, that you can stand out in a bad way. I'm not, I'm not referring to, bear with me as we go through this morning, we're not talking about those who are awkwardly standing out and drawing attention to themselves. I would say the people who stand out in an awkward way are not actually standing out in a strange land as biblical as the Bible instructs us to, but they are standing out in a way to draw attention to themselves. So I just want to make that distinction as we move through this uh, this morning. So we have the first one, standing out through an uncharacteristic compassion. Uh, then uh, the second point, um, the second example here from the centurion is that he was standing out through a unique understanding of Jesus. In verse 3, it says, when he heard about Jesus. 
So I think there's two areas or two ways that he exhibited a unique understanding of Jesus. And the first one is, is he had a unique understanding of who Jesus was, of who Jesus was. He was the one responsible for maintaining the peace and in enforcing the decrees of Rome. So it seems that he would have an interest in knowing what's going on in his region, especially when there were crowds involved. And we know wherever Jesus was, who was there? His disciples, but then usually a crowd. There was usually a crowd of people that would follow him or that would find him. Turn back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, I'd like to start reading in verse number 31. A couple pages back, Luke chapter 4. Then he went down to Capernaum, verse 31, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Do you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is! For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. We'll stop there. So the, the idea here, he says he went into Capernaum. This is the same area that we're talking about in Luke chapter 7. And they were astonished at his teaching. His word was with authority. And his word, it went, it, it, he, was, he was known. The report about him went out into every place. And so it, 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 it's not surprising that the centurion had heard about Jesus. But I think he had a unique understanding of who Jesus was. In, in chapter 5, there's more things that, you know, more events that take place in verse 15 of chapter 5. The report went around concerning him all the more. In verses 17 through 26, you have the, the paralytic who was lowered through the roof. Uh, that is a notable event that I'm sure the centurion would have, uh, would have heard about. And so I think we, we understand here that he, he stood out by having a unique understanding of who Jesus was, what he was capable of doing, which I think ties into his unique understanding, uh, which, which he exhibited uh, through an, uh, an understanding of the authority that Jesus had. Back in Luke chapter 7, in verse number 8, he says, For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he understood authority, but he exhibited a unique understanding about Jesus' authority. Think back, we just read in chapter 4, verse 32. He said, uh, the, the, the people said they were astonished at his teaching, for his word had, uh, for his word was with authority. It also, in verse 36, what word, what a word this is, for with authority and power he commands and the unclean spirits and they come out. What's the difference here? What was the unique understanding that the centurion had about Jesus' authority? First of all, he had he being a person of authority understood the idea of go, of come, of do this, of do that. 
probably on both levels. He had superiors over him, and those superiors could tell him what to do, and he had to respond. But he was in a position of authority where he could command, and they would go, and they would do, and they would come. But what was the thing that he could not do, that he recognized Jesus could do? is that Jesus had the authority to speak and there would be healing. To speak and there would be life given. That is an authority that he recognized he did not hold. And so this understanding, I think, helps him to stand out from the rest of those who were around him. In the southern part of Togo, you'll see in this next picture um, that uh, there was a missionary who was going to, um, I wanted to reach out to a, uh, to a village or an area in the southwestern part of Togo. Now, the southwestern part of Togo is right along the border of Benin. Benin is the birthplace of voodooism. They still have a national holiday every year where they celebrate the birth of, uh, the, the beginning of, of voodooism in um, in Benin. And so he moved, he was going over to that area and he, he was driving in and he saw these kids in a, um, uh, sitting in a puddle and they were filling the, their jugs with water so that they could take them to their home. And, and he was moved. The Lord moved him uh, to think, what can we do to help, uh, to help these people? And, uh, and so the Lord gave him this idea of, um, of building, of drilling a well. We have well ministry uh, through, throughout Togo. I think somewhere in the last 10 years, maybe we've drilled maybe 115 wells, uh, most of them in the northern part of the country. Uh, but this one was in the south, uh, southwest part of the country. And uh, so he went and talked to the leaders. He got permission. They went and they drilled. And the Lord uh, blessed with uh, just an abundance of, of good water for that area. The leaders in that area came back to the missionary and they said, uh, they said, many people have come and said we would drill, we would help you get water. And none of them ever came back. But you came back and you drilled. Now, it's a very difficult area to drill in. I guess there's a pretty significant uh, uh, geologic rock layer um, not far down, and so it's really hard to penetrate that and to find, find some good water. This area during the rainy season is, is isolated. You can't really access it because the roads are all washed out. Uh, but this area, so this gave him the opportunity to, to move in and to begin doing Bible studies, and, uh, and hopefully uh, one day we'll see a church in that, uh, in that village. But the other surrounding villages heard what, what had happened and what was going on. And so they were beginning to, they, they have come and have asked, can you come and you can, can you begin studies in our area as well? Well, one man who came, he was a, a chief of, um, of one of the villages, uh, but he also was the, the voodoo leader. And he came and he, he heard the teachings and he, he talked with the missionary and uh, he became a follower of Christ. And he said to the missionary, he said, if you would have come sooner, I wouldn't have just come back. He had just come back from Benin where he had purchased, probably spent, I don't know, between $500 and $1,000 on these new materials, whether they were potions or water or gizmos or gadgets, I don't know, whatever he would use for his voodoo practices with, the, with his people. Uh, but he recognized, he comes, if you would have just come back, if you would have come sooner, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone and I wouldn't have done that. What this man recognized was that the authority of Christ gave him victory over all of these other practices, which are 
we know to be, uh, to be of, of the enemy, of Satan. And, and, and he recognized this authority. So now this man, when a person like that changes, there is a significant difference that takes place. There's significant persecution that can take place, but there also is significant opportunity for the sake of the gospel. And so I think what we see through the centurion here uh, and that we see through this example is that having a, a, a proper understanding of Christ, of who he is and what his authority is, can really make us stand out and give us opportunity to be a witness for him. All right, let's move on to the third. Uh, the third, the centurion, let's see. Uh, he was standing out through a unique understanding of the culture. Now, back in, in verses uh, 4 through 6, uh, verses 4 through 6 of chapter 7, they came to Jesus, begged him earnestly, saying uh, that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. So I, it's interesting here because uh, what, what, what is going on, I think, I think the centurion had an understanding of the culture, which I think was, was wise on his part because he was responsible for that region. He needs to understand how the region works, how they, were, uh, how they, um, how they functioned, what was their, their religious beliefs, and he understood the importance of a synagogue for, for them. And, and I think that probably he was, he was such that he, he, uh, he wanted to maintain the peace. He wanted to report that there there, were no, there was not trouble in his area. And so he was engaging with the people. Now, I know some might believe that, um, uh, that this man, this centurion, was a proselyte. Uh, and and, and it's, it's possible that he could, and that's why he engaged in, in helping to build a, a synagogue. But I think it's more than this. Because when Jesus, who's willing to come, when Jesus is on his way, which is a very interesting practice because we don't see, we don't see Jesus resisting. We don't see Jesus initially uh, saying that he could. Jesus knew he could speak the word and he would be healed. But he engages in going. So we have some cultural sensibilities or, uh, that, that are taking place in here. And what's going on here is Jesus is not concerned with the cultural sensibilities uh, because he knew go, that entering into the house of a Gentile would make him unclean. And Jesus doesn't show any concern for that. Well, if we would have read Luke chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Plain, we would see that Jesus' teaching there is, is, is engaged or instructing the people on how they should interact with others uh, in a way that would not have been considered normal with your enemies, with the, with the uh, Gentiles, and, and with others. How do you engage with them? And so Jesus is putting into practice here something that would have been culturally uh, a cultural taboo. One commentator writes that Jesus' response and intention to go to the centurion's house undermined the whole system of paternal ethics by abolishing the distinctions and inequities on which the system was based. So Jesus is turning their culture upside down, in other words. 
In reality, he says, the immediately preceding sermon in Luke 6 must be regarded as more indicative of Jesus' motivation for helping the centurion than his alleged participation in a social norm he has just censured in, censured in, in, in chapter 6, 20 through 38. In effect, this episode represents the Jewish elders as captive to a world system that has been nullified by the dawning of salvation. This centurion, as possessing remarkable insight into the character of Jesus' mission, and Jesus as behaving graciously towards outsiders in a way fully uh, congruous with his earlier spoken word. So someone who is coming from the outside, the centurion stood out by studying or understanding the culture and not being held captive by it. So how do, we, how, do we, how do we understand this? How do we grapple with this? How do we use this? And, and I think in Togo, one of the things that we do um, is, is, is you're always evaluating, you know, you're teaching truth. You're, you're expressing yourself uh, to, to the people in, that, in the truth. But, but how much of it is sinking in? Because oftentimes we have, uh, we have cliches or we have phrases or we have ways that we say things that are not always easily uh, understood or interpreted or translated. And so one of the things that I use, I like to use is the funeral. The funeral is probably one of the most revered what, events and practices in Togolese culture. Uh, we were for, well, I remember as soon as we weren't in Togo very long and I was invited to, uh, to this um, celebration and I thought, well, okay, what's it was a celebration for a death. Okay, so we'll go. This was a, a family that was close to, uh, had, to the mission for many years and, and so, I, so I went and I, I found out that, that the celebration was actually celebrating the, 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 the death of the patriarch 15 years ago. Uh, and so that, that, that it's a very important uh, practice. And so when they practice the funeral, when they go through that process, it evidences a lot of where their, where their faith is, where their belief is. So this story was recounted to me. I don't know the people involved, uh, but there was a matriarch of a family who was a believer. And so she had, she knew she was getting older and she was, she was going to die soon. And so she told her family, she got the family together and said, you may not... You may not practice the fetish practices when I die. The fetish rituals and all of those things. Well, what are the fetish rituals? Well, they may, for example, um, they, they want to appease the spirits, the spirits of the ancestors, the, the spirits as well. They don't want them to get mad. And so they, may, they do different things. One missionary was recounting for me. He was asked to take a body to the cemetery. Now, if they can get a missionary to drive the body from the morgue to the cemetery, it's a lot cheaper for them because the taxis are a lot more expensive because after the taxi makes the body, uh, takes the body to the cemetery, he has to go to a fetisher and, and do a blessing on the, on the taxi so that none of the spirits stay with the, with the taxi. And, and the other, and people won't get in the taxi then. So it's a very complicated, complicated thing. So they got a missionary to do it, and, and the missionary said, no fetish practices. Well, he started, and he, 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 he started on his truck, and he heard an egg, an egg break. And he stopped the truck, he went out and he looked, and sure enough, there was an egg that was placed in front of the tire. He rolled over it, it broke, and, and by the fetish practices, that was to protect the, the, the body uh, and the vehicle and those in there uh, on the way from attack from the, from the spirits. 
So he said, that's it. I told you, no fetish practices. You're going to have to do it on your own. Uh, you're going to have to get the body there all by yourself. Um, and, and so those are the types of things that they do. And so uh, this, this, this poor family, the matriarch said, no, they couldn't do any of these practices. But this poor family, they were, what, what were they to do? Because the matriarch said no, and so they might, they, might, they might create a problem with all the spirits, but if they practice it, they might anger the matriarch spirit. So that's a pretty tough, that's a pretty tough place to be because you're talking about the matriarch spirit. And, and, and so recognizing then um, the cultural implications. Now the family, uh, from what I was told, the family chose, they had more fear of the matriarch spirit than they did of the others, so they didn't do any of the fetish practices. That's what I was told. Whether that's what really happened or not, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but the idea of understanding the culture, how do, do we understand the, cultural, the culture and its sens sensibilities, and know then how to engage and how not to engage, and and how to stand out uh, in, in, in the culture. All right, let's move on to number four. Number four, the, uh, the, um, we'll move through these last two really quick. Uh, the centurion, he stood out. Uh, so the idea of standing out through a proper view of self. Verse six, you're familiar with this. I am undeserving, I am not worthy. He recognized, even in his position of authority, that he was unworthy for Christ to come and, and enter into his home. It reminds me of John the Baptist, who in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, proclaims, One is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the, throng, the thong of his sandals. There are those who might demonstrate a false humility, like that of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, or of whom Paul warns against in Colossians chapter 2, uh, the, the false teachers. There are those who may demonstrate false humility, but, but this man, those people usually don't stand out in the good way. They're, they're, they're drawing that attention to themselves. This man had a proper view of himself and recognized his unworthiness. Uh, to have Jesus come into his home. And he's acting uh, upon his, uh, he, first of all, admitting that he is unworthy is a significant thing, and then acting upon his unworthiness to receive the Lord in his home really creates a place for him to stand out in that culture. Okay, last, the fifth thing, standing out through a unique faith. We all know in verse number nine, Jesus heard these things. He marveled at, them, at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So he stood out with a, great, a unique faith. This is the faith, I think, which echoes Abraham in Hebrews 11 in the situation of offering, his son, of offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice. He believed that God would raise him from the dead. I think this is the faith that it's akin to Martha in John chapter 11 when she testifies of her belief that Lazarus would be raised from the dead. And also I think this is the faith of Naaman uh, indicated in Luke chapter 4 verse 27 who received acclamation from Jesus as one that was not found in Israel at that time. So the faith that should be evident in the land of its founding, the centurion, the stranger, demonstrates that faith, which should be characteristic of the people of God. One final illustration here. Uh, I wrote about this in a, in a, a couple of years ago, if you remember. Um, if you, uh, 
about one of our aviation employees. He, he, um, he's been working for us since we arrived in Togo. And um, one day he, he just, he got sick. He couldn't show up for work. And then he, um, he continued to get sick and then finally his back was hurting and, and eventually he ended up bedridden. They, we took him to the hospital, we had x-rays, nothing showed, we couldn't figure out anything that was, um, that was wrong uh, with him. And, uh, and then one day I was, I was traveling and uh, he, he ended up back in the hospital, our hospital, where the physician assistant, uh, who is one of our, our local pastors, um, pulled this, you can put that picture up, pulled this out of his leg, out of his thigh. And about two inches, kind of a little metal post with a bead and some, you know, a couple little metal posts there, bead and some, some cloth wrapped around it. And you think, how in the world did that get in his leg? Well, you know, we're, we, we, when I got back, I, I gave, gave him a pretty good uh, grilling over how in the world did that get in you? You know, it was from sleeping and it, it, you know, across the board, our believing, our, our, our Togolese believers uh, and unbelievers both will say that this got into his leg because a curse was placed on him and it was, it was intended to kill him. Well, you know, so I talked to him about all the possible ways that this could happen and, and all of, this types of these types of things. But in the end, that was what was pulled out of him, and I can't contest that that was pulled out of him. And there's no way, there was no entry wound on his body, so there was no way to really theorize about how that got into him. But all of that aside, the, the, after I, I, we talked all about that, the question I posed to him was, what are you going to do about it? Because if somebody places a curse on you, you naturally are going to respond in two ways. Well, well you're one way, but two, two aspects of it. You are going to go to the fetisher and you are going to place a counter curse on the person who cursed you, even though you don't know who they are. The second thing you're going to do with the fetisher is you're going to pay the fetisher to protect you, to, to, uh, to have some spirits who would protect you from further, uh, from further uh, curses that are placed on you. That would be the natural response. So I asked him, what are you going to do? And he just kind of looks at me and, um, and says, um, nothing. Um, you know, I've got Christ, so I don't need to do anything. And, and the simplicity of his response, recognizing that Christ has the authority, recognizing who Jesus is, what, his, what the authority that he has, put him in a position to respond in a biblical way. And in that response, the faith that he demonstrated, because everybody in his community knew what was going on with him. Everybody around his home understood that he was bedridden. And when he was up and when he was delivered from this, everybody was watching to see how he was going to respond. And his response is a tremendous testimony of faith. Among, he was a stranger in a strange land. Because that was not the expectation of the culture around him. I just want to bring to our mind uh, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction 
Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So according to this scripture, each of us who have put our faith in Christ as Savior, we are strangers in a foreign land. And the question to us is, are we standing out biblically in this strange land? To close, as Jesus prayed to the Father for his followers in John 17, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. May the Lord grant us wisdom, discipline, and, and strength to appropriately stand out in a foreign land. Father, we thank you for the word this morning, the instruction, the example of the centurion and the challenge that, that he presents to us of, of standing out in a strange land. It's very, very, very difficult to live as a stranger in a land that, that others view as our home. When if we, were, we are in Christ this morning, we have the hope and we have the, the blessing of that future, uh, that, that future time when we will spend eternity, glory with you in the land where our citizenship lies, in a land that, was, that, was, uh, that, that, that will be created by you and that was purchased for us through the blood of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize the, the, the importance and the significance of how we live each day in the place that you, have, uh, that you have put us. And may we be faithful in serving you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, Jason. Turn to hymn number 74. Singing I Go, and we're going to sing the first and third verses. Um, just two verses, the first and third. Let's stand and sing together. The trusting heart to Jesus clings, nor any ill forebodes, but at the cross of Calvary sings thrice God-lifted loads. Singing I go along life's road, praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Singing I go along life's road, for Jesus has lifted my load. He tells me of my Father's love And never slumbering I My everlasting King above Will all my needs supply Singing I go along life's road 
praising the Lord, praising the Lord, singing I go along life's road, for Jesus has lifted my load. Gracious Father, we're so thankful today for our time here together to praise you and to learn. Help us, Lord, truly to stand out. Even just singing your songs would cause us to stand out in this world. But help us to stand out by our very actions, to be different than the world, to forgive when it's unexpected, to love when people need it, to have compassion. Lord, just to be different than the world. That's all it would take to stand out. So help us, Lord, as we do that. We pray for Jason and the family as they go back to Togo, that you would bless their ministry, protect them, care for them in their standing out to help them touch lives and bring many more into your family. We'll praise you for all that you do and accomplish, for we know, Lord, that it can only be done because of you. In your son's name, amen. You're dismissed. Well, you played it very well. I missed the part, though. <laughs>